be in the end of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18. Oh, and if you don't have a Bible with you, I would love to give you, we would love to give you a free Bible. We have free Bibles in the lobby, so just pick one up at the New Here area before you leave today. Uh, we would love to send you home with one. But the words are also on the screen behind me. So here we go. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 14, it says this. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings. And so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. And after you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so that they can read it too. And you should read the letter that I wrote to them and say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. Not, remember everything I just wrote you in this entire letter. Not, remember my sermons. Not, remember the secret handshake. <laughs> Not, remember my big house or my new car. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. You would think, at least I would think, that the Apostle Paul, the great apostle called by God to be the missionary, to take the gospel to the Gentile world all over the place, to plant all of these churches, would have something better going for him than being stuck in a jail cell in Rome, stuck in chains. And you might say that being stuck in a jail cell was quite the disadvantage for Paul to accomplish the purpose that God had given him to do. And so turn to the person next to you, look him right in the face and tell him the title of my sermon this morning, our sermon this morning, tell him disadvantage. Now you got to say it the right way. You got to go disadvantage. Okay, you got to put a pause between the dis and the advantage. Try again. Do you know what a dis is? A dis is a verb that means to dis to speak disrespectfully to or to criticize. As a noun, it means disrespectful talk. So, you could say to somebody and diss them by saying, you never talk. You never talk. You're like, you're like sitting in the car together. You're on a long drive. You're on a business trip. You know, you got, you got someone next to you. And they're just staring out the window, daydreaming. Or probably more likely, they've got their head in their phone. Everybody in their phone is more important than you. And so you look over at them and say, you never talk. Now, of course, every diss has to have a good comeback to it, right? And so it's like, I do talk, I just don't talk to you, right? So, but then, then, then there's those people in your life that they just never stop talking, right? You know those people, and if you don't know somebody, you're that person, right? There's somebody in your life that never stops talking. And so you just look at them, and you're just like, nobody asked you. 
Like they got opinions about opinions about opinions. And it's like, ah, nobody, nobody asked you. And of course, a, a good comeback to that might be like, well, then why are you still listening? <laughs> like, like why, why, why are you still listening if you're giving me a hard time, right? Sometimes, sometimes a diss doesn't even have any substance to it at all. Sometimes it's just like, just simple, like, you're so dumb. You're so dumb. You know, but you gotta, you gotta stand up for yourself, right? And it's like, well, if you know everything, then you should know when to shut your mouth. <laughs> I'm giving you some good lines here. Sometimes, sometimes a diss doesn't even have to use any words. Sometimes it's just the way your body reacts, the way your eyes roll, you know? It's just like, you know. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Just keep rolling them eyes. You might find a brain back there. Maybe. You might. But I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we're oftentimes not saying those types of things to other people. We're oftentimes dissing or saying those types of things to ourselves, to myself. And I think if we're honest again with ourselves this morning, is that we might have some good comebacks to the way, the way that we diss ourselves, talk to ourselves, disrespect and criticize ourselves. But we've heard all them before. They're all old. What good are they, really? You know, we've, they're not, I think we believe the diss about ourselves, the criticism about ourselves, the disrespect of ourselves more than we might want to admit sometimes. Like maybe, maybe you were just hoping that, man, I'm just waiting for that opportunity to speak. I just need that platform. I just need to have the meeting with this person so I could tell them how I could really feel. Or, or maybe you've been talking a lot, like everywhere. You're, you're posting everything. You're talking a lot and you're like, no one's listening to me. Or maybe you feel like, you know, your, your school years, your college, your high school years are so far in your past, but yet you just kind of, can't even believe that that was your life back then and it just still haunts you and hurts you today or maybe the worst one of them all is every day when you wake up you're looking at yourself in the mirror and again you don't have to say any words it's just the way you look at yourself and you just wonder is it even worth it today is it even worth it and i think if we live our lives this way if we approach our lives this way then we do a couple things we do we disassociate from our past. We disassociate from our past. There's things in our past that we've all done, that I have done, that are negative, that are, we don't want to think about that. We don't want to go there. And so what we do is we feel like, okay, if that's true, then let's just pretend like it didn't happen. Let's disassociate ourselves from that and move on into the future. And so like those college years, those high school years, it's like they didn't even happen in your life. You just completely wiped it all away. Or, or like when you meet somebody and you're talking to them and you introduce yourself, maybe you are afraid or you don't like to introduce where you grew up or how you grew up. Because if they knew, if they knew you grew up in that town, if they knew that you grew up in a household like that, 
well then, that might be the end of that relationship. Or it certainly might hurt your credibility for them to know that you grew up that way, in that place. Or maybe, maybe, and I think this is a big one, you're getting to know somebody, you're trying to strengthen your relationship with them, you're trying to be open and vulnerable with them, and you know that there's this thing inside of your life, inside of your past, that if you were to bring it up and put it on the table, you just know that that's the end of that relationship. Like you just know if they know that, whew, they're not texting me back. They're not calling me back. And so we disassociate ourselves from the past. We think we're better off if we just go and do, you know, let's just pretend it never happened. With Those hidden things, those negative things, we just pretend like they aren't even there. And so we disassociate ourselves from our past, and then we also disengage from our present. Disengage from our present. Like we have a meeting coming up. You have something coming up that you're looking forward to that's on the calendar. And it's, well, all of us have the holidays coming up, right? That wonderful time when we get together with family and friends that we haven't talked to all year long for a very good reason. And sure enough, here they are sitting at our kitchen table. And it's like, we've been here before. We've tried. We've said the nice things. We've cooked the good meal. And it didn't work. So why bother? And we just disengage from where we are. Like you've been to that meeting before. You, you've had high hopes to sign the business deal, to get the contract. Maybe you've went to the interview and you're like, this time it's going to be my job. And it wasn't. And the business deal didn't work out. And the relationship didn't go any farther. And you've experienced what it's like to not have it go your way. And so therefore, you're probably just saying... I'm here physically, but I'm so far disengaged because why does it even, why does it even matter? Or maybe, maybe you're just wondering, like, does anyone even care about me? Like, what value do I bring to the table? Like, when we get together in a, in a room, a group of people, like, why, why would anyone want to talk to me? I'm just, I'm just me. Nothing, nothing special. And we feel like if we engage in a deep conversation, an important conversation that it's too much work, I don't really feel like it, the other person's not really going to care very much. And so I think we can disassociate ourselves from our past, we can disengage from our present, and we might then disrupt our future. Told you I was going to have a little fun with this message today. We're going to disrupt our future. Because if we approach life this way, like there is a chance, and there's always a chance. And it's crazy to think about this, that you could make a decision today in the next couple hours that would put yourself in an entirely different place, a place that you never thought you'd be, a place you'd never thought you'd go by this time tomorrow. You could do it. You, can, you could make a decision like that today in a moment, and your life would be just 
completely different. Sometimes all it takes is just to hit send on a post or a text message or on a phone call. And tomorrow at this time, your life could be completely disrupted. Maybe you make a decision that ruins a relationship and this time for good. Or maybe you make a decision that harms yourself physically or maybe puts you in a bad place mentally. Or maybe you've had all these big dreams, these big plans. God has spoken to you and said, I want you to do this. I want you to accomplish this. This is for you. You should go do it. And you trade those big plans for a temporary, this makes me feel good in the moment decision. And we disrupt our future. We disassociate from our past. We disengage from our present and we disrupt our future. And we feel like our disadvantages have the final word. And now I'm sure that the Apostle Paul, the great writer of the New Testament, wrote all these letters, who wrote the book of Colossians that we've been studying. I'm sure he might have felt this way at times. And like sometimes, don't you feel this way? That like the entire existence, the entire planet is like slanted towards you. You know, you're at the bottom here. It's just everything just comes after you and after you and after you. It's like you're standing on the shore of a beach and the waves are crashing in and they knock you off your feet and you tumble around for a little bit and you finally stand up and guess what? The next wave is coming in and the next one's coming in and it's like, when do I ever get a break? So visualize, visualize with me, okay? The Apostle Paul is in a, where is he? Jail cell, house arrest, in Rome. He's sitting on the floor, knowing all well that God had called him for this great purpose of taking the gospel to the Gentile world, to Europe and to Rome, and he was going to do this big, big thing. He was going to plant churches. He was going to be a missionary. He was going to lead many people to faith in Christ. And guess what? He did do that. He was really good at it. He had so many opportunities. He led many people to faith in Christ. He planted many churches. He did all of those things. He had it all kind of going for him. But, but now, everybody say now. Now, it looks different. Now, it feels like the obstacles are too high. Now, it feels like everything is against me. Now, it feels like it's not going to work out. And I'm sure, I'm sure that Paul wanted to disassociate himself from his past. He had a lot of stuff in his past that was not so great. Like he murdered some Christians. That's not never a good thing. He signed off on saying, okay, you can go ahead and, and murder this person because of what they believe. Paul did that. He, he hunted them down. He locked them up and that was before he became a Christian. After he became a Christian, well, I mean, he had a great pedigree. He grew up in a great household. He had some great schooling, but he wasn't a perfect person. He talks about how he, he does things that he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do things he wishes he could do. Like, his past is not perfect, like none of us are either. And I'm sure he wanted to disassociate from his past. 
because his past probably was holding him back. He might have felt like it was keeping him from accomplishing the purposes that God had given him to do. And I'm sure he might have also wanted to disengage from his present. Like, how many people are sitting around you, sitting around Paul in a jail cell? Zero, one, two, three, a handful. How many? Because like Peter, he remembers, stood up in front of thousands of people on Pentecost. And how many people got saved? 3,000 people. And, and Paul remembers walking around Mars Hill, conversing with the Greek philosophers, convincing them to believe in Jesus, that he is actually this, this unknown God that they worship and like doing this amazing, amazing thing. Paul remembers doing that. But now, now, now he's sitting in a jail cell. Now he's talking to the spider in the corner of the room. What really can you accomplish here? Well, what can you accomplish here? What, what can you accomplish here? Given your present circumstances, given your present disadvantages, in this moment, right now, what can you accomplish here? Well, Paul could write. Paul could write. And we take our Bibles for granted today. Because some of us have more Bibles in our house than maybe the entire number of books that were ever printed over hundreds of years of human history. But to write a book in the first century was not like it is today. You need the right tools. You need the right financial resources. You need the right instruments. You need the right stuff to write on. You need the talented scribe to write it down. Not anybody could just do it. And it's crazy to try to put our brains back into this world because there is more content produced today in a single day than was ever produced over thousands of years of human history. It's just the, the world that we live in today. But the disadvantage of Paul sitting in a jail cell with his buddies, with his partners, with his friends, it forced him to write. And another reason, another reason that the Apostle Paul wrote stuff down was because other people told him, and he admitted himself, that he was not a good speaker. In the book of 2 Corinthians, he says that there's these people that tell Paul that your speeches are really bad. It's like, wow, that's really kind to say to a pastor, a preacher. Your speeches are really bad. That's like a gymnast that can't do gymnastics or a manager that can't manage. You can't have a preacher that can't preach, right? Well, maybe not. I mean, he could write. He could write. 
And remember, remember Paul said what? Remember my, where is he? Remember my chains. So Paul's in a jail situation and he writes this amazing letter. Then what? You send it off to the publisher in Jerusalem to print it, right? I don't think so. <laughs> you got to have people, people around you to, to take your letter, to take what you have written and take it to the world. His disadvantage of being stuck in one place forced him to have people around him. He had people around him. And we read about some of these people last week as we were going through this letter. Um, but another thing that we realized in this world that he had was that he said he had, here is my greeting in my own handwriting. And then he signed it, Paul. So what does this imply? That Paul himself did not physically write the original letter of Colossians. He signed the end of it, which means there was somebody that he was dictating the letter to that was writing it all down. And so Paul, at the very end of his letters, and he does this in a lot of the letters included in the New Testament, kind of throws his own personal touch on it. He says, this is my words, this is authentic, this is real, by signing his little signature at the end of the letter. It's a, it's a unique thing that he did. And so... Because of Paul's apparent disadvantages, he was forced to write, and he had to have a team of people around him. And these are two huge things that God used for Paul's advantage, and for the advantage of the church both then and even today. So instead of letting your disadvantages disrupt your future in a negative way, Paul brought his disadvantages to God, and God used them to disrupt his future in a great way, disrupt the future of the world. And if you're holding a Bible today, and if you see the words on the screen today, you are literally holding a product of a man who God took and did something remarkable with in a sea of disadvantage. And we oftentimes dis, remember, speak disrespectfully to or to criticize the very things God wants to use for our advantage. We oftentimes dis the very things that God wants to use for our advantage. And so we might say, okay, I, I just want to speak. I just want to speak. And God's like, yeah, okay, okay. You can write. Oh, I just, I just need to speak to thousands of people and thousands of people. And it's like, yeah, hey, okay, okay. You got at least one person in your life that you can influence. We are here today as a product of God doing something greater than Paul could ever imagine. He could have ever thought. But the advantages weren't just for our time. They were for Paul's time as well. And he tells them in verse 16, he tells them this. He says, after you have read this letter, pass it on. 
pass it on to the church at Laodicea so that they can read it too. Read it and pass it on. Read it and pass it on. And you should read the letter that I wrote them, right? Read it, pass it on. Read it, pass it on. What if, what if Paul didn't write? Ain't nobody recording an MP3 in the first century, right? Nobody's putting his messages on CDs and passing them around. Nobody's sharing YouTube links. Nobody's even sharing eight tracks. I don't know what they are, but they're old, right? (laughs) Nobody's doing that in the first century, but they could pass around a letter. And today, today, we have so much new stuff all the time. New content. There's a new sermon every week. There's a new book put out by that pastor every week. There's a new Bible study put out by them every week. There's a new podcast that comes out every week. And we just want new and we want new and we want better and we want new and this new thing and this new person, this new thing. And we just try and take in all this new stuff thinking that if we just get something different, if we just get something new, the newest, greatest thing that that will make us feel like we know more. We will grow in our faith stronger if we just consume this better content or this better thing or this newer Bible study or this newer video or, and we just think that maybe this thing will help us just go stronger in our faith. But I think a better way to accomplish that goal, that great goal, is not to consume something new. It's to pass on what has already been received by you. Pass on what you have received. So if God has shared something with you recently, you've read something in his word, something in our message and our time together today has spoken to you. If God has said something completely different than anything that I have said, pass it on. Pass it on. Like before you leave today, before you go to bed tonight, whatever, whatever it takes, pass it on. Share the link right now. Click on the share thing in the, whatever you're watching this and send this to somebody that's dealing with a disadvantage in their life, dealing with a negative thing in their life. And you want to help them see it a little differently. Share it with them. And here's the thing that happens when you pass it on, when you take what God has given you and pass it on to somebody else, guess what? They're not going to get it like you got it. You're you're all excited. You're like, man, this was for me. This is my word. I'll pass it on to you. And they're like, I don't know about that. This doesn't make sense to me. Like, what did you mean by that? Guess what that forces you to do? You got to go back to that thing and cycle through it one more time. You got to think about it again. You got to see it play out in in a whole different way. And when you pass on what God has given you, it forces you to go deeper into it, to see it more, see it different. And what's incredible is you see it apply to their life in maybe a, a very different way than it applied to yours. But you see that it's, it's working. It's true. God's word is active. God is working in them and their life is being changed or, or maybe they see something they've never seen before and it's a little different than what you got. But you, the fact that you passed it on, the fact that you engaged in a relationship like that, it forces you to go deeper into what God has already given you. So it's not just consume as much new stuff as possible. It's take what you've got and pass it on. Read the letter. 
Pass it on. Do the Bible study. Do the same Bible study with somebody else. Read the same portion of scripture you wrote or wrote, read last night and pass it on and read it with somebody else. And it will take you much deeper in your faith. It will strengthen your faith and God will use it in an incredible way. So, in order to pass around what Paul was receiving, he needed to have a great team of people around him, didn't it? Right? Because he's stuck in this room in this jail situation. And there's got to be other people that are taking the message, taking the letters to other places, walking with them. Like literally, imagine that, carrying Paul's letter wrapped up in your bag or something and walking miles, hours, days to take it to the place that it was supposed to go. Paul had a bunch of people with him. <clears throat> he had Luke, the beloved doctor, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He was a good companion of Paul. He sends his greetings to this church in Colossae, and so does Demas. And please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Hold on. Her house? Her house. I said, let's give five seconds of thank you and of loud noise for the ladies in the house, okay? They're important, yes. Let's go, five, five seconds, there we go. You ladies are important to the church. This lady had a church meeting in her house. You go, Nympha, right? Like, we need you. We need, we need this, these ladies, and, and say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. And that's, I feel like God's saying that to me, saying that to us, saying that to you this morning. Be sure to carry out the ministry that the Lord gave you. And don't let what you think are your disadvantages hold you back from doing this. Because we oftentimes diss the negative things in our life. And those things are the very things that God wants to use for our greatest advantage. And so, you might feel a little discomfort. Good. God is trying to take you somewhere different, somewhere new, Build your faith. Will you trust me over here? You've never been here before, but I'm with you. Maybe you feel a little dissatisfied. Good. God's trying to build your satisfaction in him where you can really truly find it in him alone. Maybe you're feeling a little disqualified. Good. Because <laughs> Jesus... And his death on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin, dying and rising again, is what qualifies you to get what God has called you to do. You're not going to qualify yourself. He's qualified you. I could go on, right? How many more disses do you want? <laughs> How many more disses do you want? But instead of, <clears throat> instead of disassociating yourself from your past, Instead of disassociating yourself from the past, associate with God. Bring it to God. Let him forgive you. Let him heal you. 
Let him restore you. Let him redeem you. And I guarantee that the very thing that you are so afraid about, that terrible thing that happened that one time that you just wish no one would ever know, that is most likely the very thing God wants to use to your greatest advantage. He will give you a platform. He will give you a purpose because of this thing, this negative thing, this, I mean, in some cases, really terrible thing. But God has a way of when we bring it to him, he restores, he forgives, and he does something with it that we could hardly even wrap our brains around. And we might want to disengage from our present, but engage with God. Bring it to God. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as as followers of, of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of every single one of us who does that. So everywhere you go, every step you take, every place you visit, God is walking right alongside of you. He is in you. He gives you power of life and death in your words. And in your presence and in your touch, you can heal and you can comfort. This is your everyday your moment by moment, the people that you're with, no matter where you are or who you're with. And you might make a choice to disrupt your future. You might do it. But if you bring your stuff to God, if you live your life for Jesus, he's going to disrupt your future, but it's going to be for his honor and his glory, and it's going to be more than we could ever think or imagine. So I just hear him saying today, Don't diss your advantages. Don't diss your advantages. Come on, somebody. Don't diss your advantages. They might seem like negatives today, but God has got a great plan, a great purpose for them, so bring them to God and watch him work. So as we uh, conclude our time together today, I just want to encourage you or ask you, is anyone seeing some of the negative things in your life a little differently as a result of our time together today? If that's you, would you just kind of raise your hand? I want to pray for you, just a little wave here and there. You're seeing some of the stuff that you've dealt with, some of the stuff that you've been through. God's got a purpose for that. He's got a plan for that. He wants to use that. And sometimes that thing is your very greatest advantage if you just let God God in. That's you. Just want to pray for you that God would strengthen your faith. I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot to trust them with. It's like, really God, you can handle this? You're the person that knows better than anyone else. You've felt it. You've experienced it. You've dealt with it. You've been through it all. You know the depths of it. And it's like, God, can, 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 can he really do that? Can he really handle that? Does he really, does he really have a purpose for that? Can he really redeem that? Can he really restore that? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Bring it to God. For others of you this morning, maybe God has brought you to this place, or maybe you're tuning in, listening online. He brought you to this place for this very reason, that you have had a lot of, a lot of disadvantages in your life. A lot of sin, a lot of bad choices, a lot of things that have left you feeling down and out. And today, I just want to clearly introduce you to a guy, 
a man, Jesus, a God-man. God sent his only son, 100% God, 100% man. He came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life. He made no bad choices ever. He was perfect. But he died on the cross as payment for all the stuff that you did. Imagine that. All the consequences, eternal consequences of your sin, your wrong choices, your disadvantages. Jesus took that all on himself and he died for that. And you would think the savior of the world, the conquering king, Messiah, God, hanging on a cross is the way to save the world? That seems like a severe disadvantage if there ever was one, right? Your Messiah, dead. Wow. (laughs) Good luck with that. But again, Your greatest disadvantage just may be what God wants to use for your greatest, his greatest advantage. When Jesus rose again from the grave, it's over, right? He he conquered sin, he conquered death, and he gives to you, he offers to you this free gift of new life. Say, maybe this is just a, you know, feel good, motivational, you know, speech. I could see my past a little differently now that, you know, you could tell me these cute little words and all this stuff. And it's like, well, I hope there was some of that. But I really hope that you'll see that because of what Jesus has done for you, that you can literally take whatever you've done in your past, however you're feeling in your future or in your present, and bring it to God. He loves you. He paid the penalty for your sin. He rose again. If you just received that free gift of eternal life, it is coming for you today. And maybe for you, if you're making that decision for the first time and you're just like, Jesus, I need you, again, just raise your hand, a little wave, like understanding the gospel, the good news for the very first time. And just pray something like, Lord, I need you. I've got stuff I'm dealing with. It's not perfect. But Lord, you know that. You love me anyway and because of it. And you want to use me in an incredible way. So I trust and believe in you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again to give me life. Today is my new beginning. Amen.